welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Get better at business. And, you know, getting better at business is also very much about getting better yourself as a person. And so I am very excited to talk to my very good friend and Enneagram expert, Melissa Baxter. Welcome to the program. It's so Thank great you. to have you on. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I've been glowing <laughs> for like days. <laughs> if, you're, if, if you're not, yeah, th those of you that can't see it, it's like, you know, Melissa usually is wearing a smile, but, you know, she's especially ear to ear right now. And so <laughs> I'm very flattered. But so uh, we are recording this, you know, several days after Thanksgiving. And uh, you got to celebrate with your family and your husband's family, all of whom live within like one mile of each other. And so. Yeah, my brother and sister-in-law had the uh, good idea to move 30 miles away. And so <laughs> <laughs> we think about that sometimes. Yeah. But it is, it is very convenient. I had to borrow my mom's car this week. Um, so there's that benefit too. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, 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 it's good stuff or whatever. You got somebody to look after the dog if you're out of town and all that kind very of stuff. Very frequently. So. <laughs> <laughs> Happens a lot. So the, uh, what especially were you uh, grateful for over the, over the holiday? You know, and I saw a lot of people just, myself included, out on social media, just kind of adopting that spirit of gratitude. And so what, what specifically popped up for you that you were just really grateful for? I mean, all joking aside, I, I am very grateful that both of my families live very close to me, that they are very warm and welcoming. Um, I'm especially grateful that they get along and we have the opportunity to do holidays together. And my husband and I have been together for 15 years almost. So we've done the majority of our holidays, both families together for probably about 10 years. And that's, I understand that that is such a blessing because a lot of people that is not the case. And oh yeah. Holidays are stressful. Um, so I am very grateful that I have it much easier than a lot of other people. <laughs> what about you? What were you particularly thankful for this year? I'm kind of in the opposite situation where, you know, whenever I was growing up, uh, particularly on my dad's side of the family, we were all pretty close. And my cousins, we all lived within kind of a one hour radius and we would all congregate at my grandparents' house um, in Garland. And, you know, so nobody was more than 30 or 45 minutes away from there. And we got to spend a whole bunch of time together and I kind of grew up with my cousins and now everyone's scattered to the wind. You know, we've got somebody's, in, you know, I'm, we are, I am in Dallas, but my brother, older brother moved to Salt Lake city. I've got cousins in Virginia and in, uh, DC and just, uh, Houston and like all over the place. And almost everybody got to come together for the holiday. And so we had like, seriously, like 35 people, uh, hanging out, uh, hanging out there together at the ranch. I was going into it. I was excited because some of my cousins have older children that are like, you know, teenagers are starting and there's all the way up to like starting college. And I was just like, Oh man, like this will be really cool to get to like, hang out with some of, you know, some of them now that they're not little kids anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, like that, that did. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> well, I would assume I didn't get to talk to them very much because they all were, you know, in their separate corners on their phones, you know, <laughs> right. the entire time. And so right. that was, uh, but it was very nice to be together. And so I was grateful that we all, that we all got to be together. That's fun. Yeah. So the, uh, so Melissa is certified. Is that the right word, the right terminology as, uh, for the yes. Enneagram? Yes, yeah. it is. Um, there's not an official like Enneagram Institute overseer person mm -hmm. like there's not an almighty enneagram person but people have created programs um for you to learn what it is how it works how to apply it specifically and how to coach in it 
And so I did get certified in by um, someone that I follow, and I've read a lot of her books. Um, her name is Elizabeth Bennett. And um, I really enjoy it. I've, I've nerded out about it for about two years now. So I was like, okay, let's just like pay a little bit of money. Maybe I can get some money doing this. <laughs> this is kind of, if I'm going to have this nerd hobby, let me like make some money from it is, yeah, the, yeah, is yeah, the idea. Yeah. Okay. So let's back up for just one second. And so like, I know what the Enneagram is and I, and I, and you mentioned something about how there's no centralized like organization. I want to talk a little bit about the history. Cause I think that the Enneagram is very, the history of it is a little cooler than some other things that are out there. But for those that don't know, it's like Enneagram. It's like of the same vein as disc culture index, predictive index, Colby, Myers-Briggs, you know, strength finder. Like there's a lot of personality typing stuff that is out there. Um, and the Enneagram is just another way for you to get to know a little bit more about yourself and how you interact with other people. And, uh, but the Enneagram, this is like been around for really, really, really long time, right? Isn't this like a really old kind of concept? That's what they say. Um, yes, the, the exact history of the Enneagram is not uh, set in stone, I will okay. say. It's, it's a All little right. muddled, um, but it has been used in practice in psychology and in assessments for, I think, a couple hundred years, yeah, is what they yeah. say. So, Take that but for anyway, what you will. <laughs> and, so there's, yeah, so there's like the documented history, and then there's also like the legendary exactly, history of it. Exactly. Which, you know, the mythology, if you will, of the Enneagram, where it's like, you know, you have monks and, you know, exactly. a thousand years ago. <laughs> Writing like pentagrams in, in the corner. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so what would you say is kind of different about the Enneagram versus other things for people that maybe are not familiar? Like, what, what is unique about it compared to other typing systems. Absolutely. So my favorite thing, the reason I like the Enneagram more than I like other assess assessments, and I am an assessment nerd. I've done DISC, Myers-Briggs, Predictive Index. I've done them all, and I love yeah. them. They're so oh, yeah. fun. But what I like about the Enneagram is it actually looks at mo your core motivations and fears for why you make the decisions you make and why you do the things you do, whereas a lot of the other typing systems are more based on behaviors, characteristics, mm -hmm. or professional indicators. And while those are very important and they're helpful, especially in a professional setting, that doesn't necessarily tell you about what's driving those characteristics or those behaviors. And so it's very difficult for you to change them if you don't like them, because let's be honest, when you get an assessment, it's not all happy. Like there's usually oh, yeah. like, here's what you should look out for with this person. And it's not. But how do you get over that if you don't know why that's happening? Yeah. And so like, is it like a lot of the other stuff that's out there, like that we've talked about, you know, PI and DISC and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. One of the things that they will come back with is like, Hey, this is not a personality assessment. This is right. a behavioral assessment. Exactly. And so is it fair to say that the Enneagram is a little bit more personality than I would. behavior? Yeah. I would, because it's it's more about how you process information internally and emotionally than it is about how that comes out in an external factor. Um, yeah. And I think personality is very internal. So I think it kind of sits in between emotional intelligence and personality and then cognitive thinking. It yeah. just kind of all fits in together. So, okay. And so, like, as an assessment nerd and someone yes. that, you know, kind of geeks out this over all of friends, this. This is why we're friends, Travis. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, uh, but as somebody that gets really excited about that kind of stuff, in, mm -hmm. in your opinion and experience, like, how is your, like, I guess, well, first thing, like, when did that start? Have you been geeking out about this since you were, you know, seven? Or is this something that you found later in life? When did you kind of start really getting into it? 
I found out about the Enneagram about two years ago now. Yeah, about two years ago. Um, my my therapist was actually talking to me about it, and that's kind of led me on my self-discovery journey. And, and when she was telling me, you might want to take this assessment because it will help you understand why you, me particularly, I have a very strong need for other people to like me. And so a lot of my own struggles in life stem from the fact that I want other people to like me, but that doesn't mean that's what's fulfilling me. And so what I loved about the Enneagram was I took the, I read the book actually, which is what they recommend you do. And the, the type that I came out with was a two, which is called the helper. Shocker. Um, and it helped me understand if all of my actions and all of my um, seemingly helpful interactions with people are not actually coming from a place of love and authenticity. They're coming from a place of fear that if I don't do this, you won't like me. That's not the kind of life I want to live. So it helped me um, understand that about myself. And so it also gave me perspective on other people. And my one of my big things in life and what I love about the Enneagram as well, not only does it give me my own motivations and fears, it tells me how everyone else processes. No one else thinks the way you do, but we all think that they do. And so we get really frustrated when we're explaining something and they look at you and they're like, well, why? Why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you not? And so yeah. it, it creates this tension. And if you understand that there's other people who think differently, mind blowing, like game yeah. changer for relationships. Totally. So the, um, was this the first one that you found? Like did, did your interest in other typing systems come from like start with the Enneagram or was this something that was like you, you came across after you had learned some other stuff? Uh, definitely. I've always loved assessments. So my um, undergrad is actually in psychology. I wanted to be a counselor, a marriage and family therapist, actually, specifically. Um, but I did thankfully realize that at 22, I was not in a place where I could sit with someone and hold space for them and then be healthy afterwards. That was not going to work for me. Um, and so I did thankfully understand that about myself. But that love and that draw never stopped. And as you just said, you know, what was almost what was my first assessment? My father-in-law, when I was dating my husband in high school, made me take the strength finder test. And I hadn't thought about this in years. Um, yeah, he made me take the strength finder test. And I thought that was so fascinating and I loved it. And I thought it was the coolest thing. And this is kind of going to help me like find my path in life. And so from that point on, when I was in undergrad, I, I mean, geeked out about social psychology was my favorite. Because um, we did all sorts of stuff in that class, um, but yeah. So did your did your love for assessments go all the way back to you know seventh grade where you're taking quizzes for like you know is the guy that you like is he a you know a Chandler or a Joey or a Ross or I have whatever? Such a great question for you, or answer for you actually. <laughs> and again, I haven't thought about this in so long. When we were in middle school for Valentine's Day one year, some teacher thought it would be a great idea to do a Cupid match with the children. In seventh, who does that? In seventh grade, this is the worst idea. Now that I'm like much older, this is a terrible idea. Oh yeah, this is and, and this is in you know like you're 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 younger than I am, but I I will am confident in saying that this is back in the day whenever this stuff doesn't get posted to Twitter. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And Correct. So Social media did not exist yet. Um, well, really, I mean, we had a sure Friendster or something. I don't even remember. <laughs> um, but I remember getting it. So everyone got their card back, and it ranked like who your people were in order of like compatibility and just, <laughs> looking back now i'm like this was 
such a terrible idea by adults to have immature children who are not self-aware <laughs> take this <laughs> test. And then if that other person doesn't like you back now, you feel bad because they're your designated person. It was just, <laughs> it was so awful. I'm pretty sure there were meltdowns every day after that. Um, that's the first one I remember for now. I don't know. You might spark something else. <laughs> when yeah. I was in fourth grade, I'm going to remember. I'm bringing back all these memories. But I have uh, always been very, very relationship focused. I mean, since I was... Since I was four, I, yeah. my mom jokes all the time that I was engaged to like five people when I was four. I've always liked being liked and I've always been so relational and I, that's very important to me. And I didn't understand why until so much later. And so I liked assessments because it reiterated that it reinforced the idea that you are a relational person and that's what I wanted to be. So now that you have kind of a better understanding of that about yourself, just kind of like generically, not necessarily for you specifically, but in your experience how would you describe the difference between someone that is just kind of cruising along and doesn't have this level of understanding versus someone that is intentional about really trying to get down to their deeper motivations or, you know, in, in other types of assessments, like understanding your, you know, having a better grasp of your personality traits and the way that you interact with people. Kind of how, how, how would you describe that difference in you know from your own life and then just also your observations of people that are into this stuff versus the ones that are unaware of it or not interested uh yeah um this and this kind of brings it back to the the idea you'd written down of why this, is this important and i want you to know how much i struggled with that question because i didn't want to just come in and say well it's very important because it is but like why is that important and so what i've what i've kind of honed in on is if we let our friends, our families, our culture, social media dictate what who we are based on what we show them, we're not being authentic to ourselves. And what happens is when you're not authentic to yourself, you push yourself into positions that you are not comfortable with, but you feel like you have to do. So then you don't enjoy doing that. Now you're in a position where you're uncomfortable and you don't know why you're uncomfortable. And so you're frustrated that why can't I just be? Why am I not this way? And it creates this sense of unrest and unease in yourself. And so what I found is people who don't have self-awareness, and I've, I've had a lot of really close people in my life kind of walk through this transition with me and also apart from me, and watching them understand who they are and putting those boundaries in place to make that important and putting that energy into things that give them joy makes them a more joyful person. It makes them a healthier person. They're not overtired. They're not um, uncomfortable. They're not doing things that they don't agree with, but they're living their lives so authentically that it radiates out of them and it makes you want to know them and it makes them better people and better leaders and better friends because they are living out of their true self instead of obligation. And I feel like we have so much obligation in this life that it's not worth it half the time if you don't need it. Yeah. And I, I would also say that it's like, uh, whenever you are, uh, kind of living in disharmony with yourself is just a constant tax on your, on your life force, you know? And it's, and the other thing is that typically that type of pain, angst, challenge, whatever it's, it's chronic. And so it's like, it, it's not very noticeable. You know, it's like, Hey, if you walked outside and you, you know, slipped and broke your leg, it's like, that's a very acute situation that you would <laughs> have to deal with right then and there. But 
just that little bit of discontinuity between you know who you are naturally and the way that you were trying to act is like this little bit of attacks that just builds up over time and like you said it manifests itself in all of these ways of you know you know just lack of energy you know you know making it harder to choose to be happy and joyful and grateful and all that so and it perpetuates itself too because then you're like well, oh, why yeah. can't i be happy and why am i depressed and i nothing is wrong there's exactly what you said there's no root cause nothing is wrong but nothing is right either yeah. and so and being in that place is so frustrating and something that um i've heard many times in my life and i finally understood is that you have to be uncomfortable to change you will not change if you are comfortable because there's no reason to and so it takes getting to that point of uncomfortability and like, I don't want to live like this anymore in order for you to push to that, to the effort that it takes. Self-discovery is not easy. It's not fun. It's awful, actually. It's so hard. <laughs> but you, do you want to be uncomfortable moving forward or do you want to be uncomfortable sitting where you are? I mean, here are your choices. <laughs> like, sure. Make, make yeah. one. <laughs> well, there's uh, one, of, one of my mentors, uh, Dan Sullivan. He says, that it's like, look, there's, there's, there's short-term suffering and long-term suffering. Mm-hmm. You, you get to pick which one you like, you know, and like no <laughs> suffering is just not an option. And so it's like, hey, do you want to deal with the, you know, the chronic discomfort, you know, the chronic discomfort of, uh, you know, inauthenticity, or do you want to, you know, suck it up and do the work and, you know, put in, you know, put in the, put in the effort to, you know, overcome. I want to set the stage for us to maybe disagree. And so like, I've got, well, like, so, okay. So, and, and here's my thing is that I well, also you still really- like me after though. Because that's very important. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it's the uh, so there's a how do you strike this balance? And like this, I love. I also find personality assessments and, and that kind of stuff very interesting, and I'm a believer in them. However, how do you balance this out with what I would say is the innate human ability to change? And so one, like one of the things about, especially when you're going something that's deep, like the Enneagram that's, you know, describing your personality, you know, I, I think that at some point it's like, you know, you get this information back and are able to say like, well, hey, that's just the way I am. That's just how it is and whatever. And I'm like, to me, that seems kind of inconsistent with being a human being that you are stuck the way that you are and you cannot change and be different. And so how do you kind of strike that balance of knowing yourself and getting to, you know, getting to understand yourself, but also, you know, being respectful and reverent toward what I would say is our basic human nature of being able to change if we want to. I I actually completely agree with what you're saying. Um, I, I totally agree that there is a balance between accepting, accepting this is who I am, but also that I want to be the best version of that. So I agree, but with a twist. So when you get an assessment back, and it tells you the good and the bad. Most of the time we don't like the bad part, which is why we kind of agree with it because we're like, oh, that is me. I don't, I don't like it. This isn't fun. Um, and that doesn't mean that you are bad, first of all. It means that you have tendencies to be human and that you will mess up in life because we are all people and that happens every day. What it does do though, is it shows you your opportunities to move not past those triggers or those um, fears, because they will always be there. You, you as a person will never change. Like if you had a trauma happen when you were eight, that trauma will be with you until you're 95. But what it allows you to do is one, identify. And there's a quote by Mr. Rogers actually that I love. And what's mentionable is manageable. If you can identify what that is, 
you can you acknowledge it and you're able to process it and work around it. So if I get angry with you because you called me a name that you didn't know was a trigger for me when I was five and I lash back out at you, that's not in my personality and you're not going to understand why that happened. And so I'll come back to you later and say, Travis, I'm really sorry that this happened. Here's why I reacted this way. I hope you can forgive me. It allows an opportunity for vulnerability. And what vulnerability allows you to do, thank you, Brene Brown, who I'm obsessed with, is it allows you to build connection and be authentic with people. So it, it, no, you can never change who you are. At the, at the core of who you are, your, your existence, your memories, and your experiences have made you the person that you are. But it allows you to connect with people on those places where you are weak and where you will always fail and where you will have the opportunity to make better choices. And maybe you'll slip some more. But you're making efforts to be better in that area and you're able to identify why that particular struggle is hard for you and avoid it where you can, put up boundaries to make it easier, but also allow other people to come in on that and support you and encourage you and understand you so you don't feel alone. A lot of people, when they have vulnerabilities, they, they don't want to talk about them, they hide from them, and what that does is creates a cycle of shame. And shame is so defeating and makes you hide from other people and you feel not not supported which is the opposite of what you want who you are melissa baxter as a person today is a essentially is a sum of the of your experiences and choices up to this point in this moment in time and those things are not changeable like your i mean and so like the you know whatever has happened to you and whatever you know choices you have made up to this point those are all in the past and so that kind of makes up what you know, the Enneagram would describe as your personality or would drive what other things would call your behavioral traits or your, um, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. And so while knowing all of that and having an understanding of those things and being able to recognize, you know, name it, make it mentionable, as you mentioned, as, as you said, uh, having that empowers you to it, 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 it increases the amount of freedom that you have to in your, in your decision-making as you go forward. And yeah, so, that's great. Yeah, and so it's not to say that it's like, hey, you, you just are who you are. You're never, you can't change whatever. It's almost like, no, this actually empowers you to change more effectively because you now have a better understanding of that. And so while you can't change the past, you can change your relationship with the past and your interpretation of, of, of the past. And... But those things are about your future. You're not changing what happened to you. You're just changing your relationship with it. Absolutely. And, and kind of put it in, into business terms, because I know this is about getting better at business. If you don't understand a process, you're going to learn about it, and you're going to learn its successes, and you're going to learn its, its limitations. So you can get better, and you can create better processes, and you can make that part easier. It's the same with yourself. If you don't know where your limitations are, you're not going to be able to get past them and they're going to continue to hold you back and you're going to be stuck in this like cyclical place of frustration because you can't identify what the problem is in order to move maybe not past it with it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Understood. So and so that kind of brings up a good like a good question where you're talking about so give me kind of like an enneagram light not necessarily like, but like what I'm, what I mean by this is that there are, uh, you know, in, in some circumstances, you know, particularly in professional relationships or whatever, it's like, it might be weird for you to just go up to one of your coworkers and say, Hey, take this test. I mean, that, that it can, it's a little intense, right? So 
if if that's not something that works with your current situation or in a particular relationship, like what are what are some things that you can do that are kind of a little easier to kind of wade into that pool of you know not only self discovery but appreciating other people for who they are and so like and you know what what would you recommend to people that are trying to you know get to know themselves a little bit better and maybe get to know the people around them a little bit better on these terms absolutely um honestly my favorite way to introduce the enneagram to people is through team building and whether that's in a corporation or whether i actually have a group that um i'm I'm working with in january it's a group of girlfriends and they want to get together and we're calling it a a winneagram meeting where we're all they're all going to take the assessment and we're going to do it together but i think when you put when you frame it in a context of team building or building as a unit. And and I've seen families do this before too. And I do want to caveat it. Most people don't recommend taking the Enneagram before you're 18 because your mind is so malleable. Um, you know, our friend Rachel will tell us that your brain doesn't start fully developing until you're 25. Um, and I agree with that now that I'm past 25. <laughs> I do agree with that. And so if you want to take this as a family, I highly recommend just do it with parents and then you can have kids as they get older. But um, what I will also say is when you frame it in a let's all learn about it together, I feel like that makes it less pressure packed instead of I need you to understand what's wrong with you because that's yeah. not going to work. <laughs> People <laughs> tend to take that very offensively for some weird reason. Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah. So that's good. And so what words of warning would you give to people? You mentioned that self-discovery can be challenging and hard. What would you give people? What, 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 would, what, do you, what, what, would, what should people be prepared for if they go, if they, if they really get serious about kind of knowing themselves a little better. Um, do, do you want Enneagram specific or do you want con- like entire self-discovery? That's it, just like, oh, I would just say that just overall. And, you know, if there's any Enneagram specific stuff that, that fits into that, you know, we can hear about that too. And going back to our previous conversation, I, I think it's very important when you get assessments back, again, that's not all of who you are. They, we are generalizing to make it easier to digest, but that does not mean that is every intricacy of, Travis Richards, of Melissa Baxter. That's not every bit, bit of piece of who you are. It's a yeah. framework for how you process. Um, and yeah, I would agree. And it's with, a, um, yeah. I was going to say that there's, you know, uh, you know, Stephen Covey uses an analogy about there's, you know, the, not, not specific to, you know, typing systems or whatever, but it's just like, look, there are, there is the territory and then there is a map. You know, mm-hmm. the map is not the territory. The Enneagram or any assessment that you do, that is not you. All it is, is that it is one interpretation and description of certain aspects of the territory. And, you know, just like, you know, a map is not, you know, precise down to the millimeter necessarily, Mm -hmm. or a, you know, and there are, it is only describing certain things about it. And it's not a complete, it is not a complete description. It is just one way of looking at it. The other hard part about self-discovery for me, what was hard for me was one coming to terms with where I struggle and why. I didn't realize that a lot of where a lot of my struggles came from until I started the process of self-discovery. And looking at that can be really challenging because it's it's very vulnerable and it's very open and you have to face things that you've intentionally hidden away for a very long time. And so coming to coming to terms with things that have happened to you that you haven't processed is always difficult because you have to relive that. Um, the other hard part is when you start to change when you identify it and you want to make it better, that means you have to take an action. 
And that means that action is different than what you have been doing. And that is very uncomfortable a lot of times. It's putting up boundaries where you didn't have them before, or it's taking down boundaries that were really comfortable and now you need to be more open. And I think that can be really hard for people because you have to trust that they're going to accept where you are. And that is really hard because they're not on this journey with you. Oh, it's, I, I, I was telling my husband the other day, I really like who I am now. And I didn't know that I didn't like who I was before. And it wasn't that I didn't like it. I just didn't, I didn't, I, I fully understand who I am and accept my flaws. And I accept the things that I struggle with. And I'm encouraged by them because now they give me freedom to make better choices, to lead a more authentic life. And so I get to now live in a place where I'm not stressed out about smaller things like I was before. And it's, it's so great. Well, I don't know of a, that's, that, that's like the happiest note that we've struck <laughs> this entire time. And so like, I don't think that there's any cause to ask, to, to follow up. We do have a type, we do have a, uh, excuse me, a part two yes. with, with Melissa. So that, excited. Uh, yes. And so <laughs> we've been talking a lot in this, in this particular episode about learning about yourself and all that. And we have touched a little bit about how this can affect your relationships, but we are going to go a little deeper into that. And specifically, you know, how people that are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum can work together more effectively. So very excited to have that conversation. But uh, thank you so much for this conversation. Just always a delight. Where So I know that you are on TikTok and Instagram, and uh, you, all, you do offer typing services to people that are interested in learning more about the Enneagram. And so where can people find you if they want to connect. Absolutely. So um, my Enneagram company, oh, this sounds so grown up to say, is um, Flourish, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H dot Life Strategies. Um, so Flourish Life Strategies is kind of the name, and that's both on Instagram and TikTok. Um, the link in bio in both of those will direct you to my booking site, and so you can just pick a time. You can do a 15-minute like intro of what what is this? Like I heard you on Travis's podcast. I don't really understand. We can just talk about it. Okay. Well, we will definitely put all of that contact information in the show notes. And so uh, I, I highly encourage you to reach out to Melissa. You will get the benefit of learning more about this and then also getting to know this amazing, this amazing lady that Thanks. we have been spending the last half hour with. So, uh, Thank so you that, so much. This has been so fun. Yeah. Well, looking forward to getting into part two. So everybody tune into that one. Uh, that one will be dropping uh, here within the next uh, couple of weeks after uh, this one gets published. So. Thank you so much for being with us and looking forward to the next conversation. My pleasure. Me too. Thanks, Travis. Hey there, Travis Richards, one last time. Thank you so much for investing your time and tuning into the show. I really hope that this was helpful to you and I would appreciate your feedback very much. If you have some notes on what specifically from this episode was useful, or if you have ideas on what we can do better in the future. If you would like to support the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other people find us and also just recommend us to a friend. To get in touch, visit us at www.getbetteratbusiness.com. That's all for this episode, and I hope that you'll join us again next time. Thanks.